Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're speaking about a topic that is, again, no discriminator of any demographic group. We're speaking about addiction, and although there have been stereotypes over the years that have wanted to especially focus that dialogue on Indian country, we all know that this is a human predicament. We're speaking today especially about alcohol and opioid drugs, a lot of attention being devoted to it, but we've got an expert with us today who's going to help us sort through some of the dialogue and give you some exciting answers. His name is Brady Granier. Brady, it's great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. You are someone who's got deep roots in the medical community. Tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I started my career as a registered nurse back in the mid-90s. Um, I was an ER nurse, uh, also ICU. And then I then I left nursing and healthcare altogether um, around 2000 or so. I can't recall exactly the year. And went into more business and entrepreneurial uh, ventures and uh, ended up working in the radio business uh, for a company called Clear Channel, which is now iHeartMedia. But I was always the healthcare category captain because of my healthcare background. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would kind of um, deal with all the healthcare-related uh, related advertisers, and that's how I got exposed to the addiction treatment industry uh, all over again and uh, came full circle back in it. Wow, so basically you start out as a nurse, and then you actually get behind the microphone, you're doing radio work, and a lot of topics coming up in the media dealing with addiction. Is that what kind of drew you back in? Am I understanding that right? Well, I actually recorded some commercials and wrote some copy, but I was I was more of the sales and, and management, biz dev side of things. So what happened was one of my sales reps um, came across this clinic that was treating uh, alcoholism using uh, this naltrexone implant uh, back in 2009, 2010, mm-hmm. and naturally brought it to my attention because of my healthcare background to see if I could vet it out and, and look into it um, because we wanted them to become an advertiser on the radio station. So that's how I was exposed to it. And from there, was intrigued, did due diligence, met a few patients that had actually gone through this, this, uh, this clinic with amazing results, and I kind of got sucked back in. Um, that, that's how I came back into it, and long story short, um, wanted to help the company, got to know the founders, and long story short, eventually they asked me to come and help them with the company, and I came on board as the COO to help them on the operational side back in 2013. And then from there, I progressed, and now today I'm the CEO Wow. So the company we're talking about is BioCorex. Is that correct? Yes. What's well, BioCorex now? We changed the name. It used to be called something else. And then I, um, when I came in, we rebranded everything, restructured how the company was set up. It was just an individual clinic, um, and it was the uh, the company was just the management company of that clinic. So we changed the whole model, and we decided to get out of managing the clinic and create this entire package. Uh, that can be used by independent treatment providers regardless of where they are on the country. So we started collaborating with treatment centers and 
offering different products and services uh, to fight alcoholism at the time. So the opioid epidemic was, was there, but it wasn't at the forefront just yet back then in you know, 2010 or so, uh, or 2013 when I got there. That came a little bit later, like 2014, 2015, things started to change. So um, we, should, we changed the entire name and the, the model. Mm-hmm. So for health professionals, we've heard of the drug naltrexone before, but for those who are not familiar, can you give us a little bit of background on this particular compound? Yeah, naltrexone, and I'm not a doctor, so I'll give you my limited non-doctor knowledge. So naltrexone is an opioid antagonist. It's a relatively old drug. It's been studied, I believe, in the 60s. It was first FDA approved in 1984, 85 for opioid use disorder. And then subsequent to that in 1994, 95, even the mid-90s, it was approved for alcohol use disorder, proper terminology now. So it's, it's been around for a while, and what it does is it blocks those receptors in the brain, those same receptors that opioids would attach to. So mm-hmm. it has a stronger affinity or, or magnetism, let's call it, for those receptors. So you can just kind of picture like uh, putting your, if you play rock, paper, paper, scissors, you know, that naltrexone is the paper over the rock, uh, the rock's receptor, and it covers that receptor. So if, if the opioids come in after that, they're just completely blocked from engaging in that receptor and causing those um, the effects of opioids, you know, the uh, respiratory depression and all, all the other, the euphoria and all those types of things. So just it has a stronger magnetism for that and it blocks it off. As long as that drug, that, that medication, naltrexone, is in the system with therapeutic levels, it can continue to block the effects of opioids and in many cases it can actually block the cravings for them as well. And for alcoholism, it's a little different. Um, it's not blocking alcohol. Um, it's blocking the, the, the endorphins that your body releases, that buzz you get. Those are endorphins. It, it, so it blocks those from engaging in those receptors mm. um, to give you that high from consuming alcohol. You can if you drink on it. You can still get uh, legally intoxicated and lose your faculties and get tired and get a hangover, but you're not going to get the fun, pleasurable stuff. And it does also block cravings for I mean, this is really interesting stuff, and of course, a lot of folks have heard that term endorphins. What many people don't realize is it actually comes from the phrase endogenous morphines. So that means internally made, endogenous, made by the body, uh, morphine-like compounds. So these endorphins are, as you mentioned, Brady, they're what gives you that buzz, that, quote, good feeling that some people get when they drink. And if they're taking the naltrexone, it really totally blocks that? Is that for everybody? Well, it, it's blocking. I never like to say 100%. I mean, I mm-hmm. think, you know, in medicine, you want to avoid you know, these kind of guarantees. Um, but, it, but it is, it should be blocking those receptors in every individual if there is uh, enough therapeutic level in the system. It may not be blocking the cravings for every individual, um, <clears throat> but in terms of the effects, it should, but again, should. Um, from what we see, it does, but I, I'm not prepared to make a blanket statement that it's going to. You can't say it's going to, no trexone in any form is going to work on everyone, but you can drink while you have it and not necessarily get sick. You're just not getting the same effect. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to be careful with saying it works for everyone. Yeah, so a lot of people who are tuning in, they may have you know, had antabuse, uh, the disulfiram in the past, and 
that's that pill when the alcoholic takes it. If he drinks alcohol, he will get violently ill. So with the naltrexone, no such symptoms, huh? Yeah, well, there's, there's symptoms to naltrexone. Anyone can look those up. Um, so there are side effects to naltrexone depending on medication, but those are relatively usual, you know, nausea, vomiting, things like that. Everyone reacts a little bit differently. Uh, so you can't but there are some side effects. It's not an addictive medication. It's, it's not a controlled substance. Mm. So it doesn't really have a doesn't have a street value. People aren't seeking it on the street. It's a, it's an interesting and um, medication and has several several uses. You know, some folks who are listening, especially if they have a health background, they may be thinking of some of these medications that are used to treat narcotic addiction, but they also have some narcotic properties. So are we saying naltrexone doesn't have any properties like that at all? It does not. It's an opioid antagonist. We mentioned earlier, um, so it, it doesn't have it, it no. It's not building. You're not building an addiction to it. It's not. It's like it's not addictive. You have other medications that are used for addiction treatment. Um, in, I mean, that medication-assisted treatment umbrella. Mm-hmm. There's basically three medications that are used under MAT, MAT, medication-assisted treatment. There's other medications, of course, but these are the three most commonly used: uh, methadone, buprenorphine, and naltrexone. Mm-hmm. And each of those three come in different forms, oral or injectable or implantable in certain cases. So, uh, But at the end of the day, there's still the underlying, the underlying active ingredient, or you know, like methadone and buprenorphine. And when, you, when I say buprenorphine, people may, you know, uh, recognize suboxone. Right. So suboxone is just a, it uses buprenorphine and it has other medication as well, a combination product. Uh, but for the most part, it's buprenorphine, I mean, methadone, buprenorphine, not correct. So now, methadone and buprenorphine. They, uh, methadone is an agonist, and buprenorphine is, or suboxone, and buprenorphine is a, is a partial agonist. But there, there are, it's engaging with those receptors, and, and um, so attracted to those receptors like the naltrexone, but it, it, it works in a different, in a different way. Um, it's not, it, it doesn't, not blocking the, the euphoria and, and those types of things, but it does have a different effect, and it, you know, it's, it's a better, better than the alternative. Uh, mm-hmm. In those cases, they, they do certainly have their utility um, in the treatment regimen. You, you, you see a lot of people that are anti one or the other. Um, I don't believe in that. I've, I've seen, I've seen, you know, buprenorphine, um, suboxone work for individuals where naltrexone wasn't best for them, and vice versa. It just, mm-hmm. it, it really is patient by patient, um, and, and you know, it, 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 that's between the care plan between physician, patient, family, and what they choose is the best for them, depending on the. This is great information, and I think those of you that are tuning in today, if you are having struggles yourself with alcohol or uh, opioid drugs, or whether you know someone who's struggling with these things, we're talking about 
a medically assisted therapy for dealing with addiction that, uh, well, Brady, I know you got a lot more to share with us because there's more ways to take this naltrexone than just orally, right? Correct. Um, there's three different ways for um, people to receive naltrexone. There's the oral form, which has been around the longest, um, and then there's an injectable form that's on the market now, and then there's the implantable form, a pellet form, implant or pellet. If you can't refer to either way. At the end of the day, they're all naltrexone, and naltrexone does what it does. Uh, it's an effective medication. It just depends on the patient's situation, which what is best for them. Mm-hmm. We, we, we're believers in naltrexone in general um, for people that want to enter in long-term recovery and being off of all, any sort of you know, agonist. Um, if someone can take the oral form every day, that's fantastic. Most people aren't compliant enough. I mean, the population in general, we're all not compliant with medication. Mm. I mean, mm. I, everyone's probably non-compliant to a certain extent. But when you're dealing with someone suffering from uh, uh, substance use disorder, that's even more prevalent. Because every day when that person wakes up, it's a decision they have to make all over again. And it's a decision between medication or my best friend. But a lot of times that, that drink or that drug is, is, is your companion. That's right, and you have to make that mm-hmm. choice every day. So compliant with all forms uh, of naltrexone is visible, abysmal. So that's why the, the sustained release forms and the injectable or the implant are a better solution for compliance issues. So are we saying, Brady, that if somebody actually is taking the pill, the naltrexone pill, they can just say, hey, I want to party this weekend. There's going to be opiates there. I'm just not going to take it starting on Friday, and they could do fine, uh, have the normal effects they had with the opiates if, a day or two later? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's dangerous, however. Um, it's dangerous to be abstinent for a while and then to use again. You have to really worry about overdose, especially no, you're right. in an age with fentanyl and carfentanil. If you get a bad batch and uh, you, your, your brain has been, you've been off for a while and clean, those receptors are more sensitive, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and... You know, the dose you used to have fun with uh, or, or used to take norm, you know, take to just feel normal could kill you. Yeah, that's amazing. Wow, this is amazing stuff. Brady, we have got a lot more to talk about. Fortunately, there's more time in today's show. We're going to step away from the mic just for a couple of minutes. Brady Granier, he's going to be back with us telling us things that can make a difference for you and those that you love. Don't go away. I'm Dr. DeRose. We will be right back. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. Emergency medical unit, respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. 
There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose and with my guest, Brady Grenier. Brady is the CEO of BioCorex. BioCorex, they're talking with us today, Brady and his team, by extension that is, about what you can do differently to be successful in the area of drug and alcohol recovery, specifically if you're dealing with opioid drugs, if you're a health professional, if you're in a tribal clinic, if you're wondering about other options, that's exactly what we're focusing on in today's episode. Brady, just for those who are coming back with us, uh, they've got an introduction to you, but others have likely tuned in since we began the interview. In addition to having background as a registered nurse, you also have had background in the military. Can you tell us a little bit about that? No, I, I, I don't have a military background. You don't? Okay. I, I, had, uh, I for some reason, had you uh, listed as someone with hands-on experience in treating casualties of battles, but it's the battle, it's the opioid addiction battle? Yes, um, I wish I had served in hindsight uh, back in the day, but I chose to go into, to go to college and get into healthcare back then. Um, I used to fly. Maybe you're confused because I used to be a, a medic uh, to and I used to transport patients via air as a, as a medic. That not not the military. Okay, well, thanks for keeping me straight. So the bottom line, though, is whether it's been in the emergency room or doing an air evacuation, you've seen people in a lot of extreme situations. And when we focus in on those situations, and then we talk today about addictions, uh, no doubt you saw a lot of people dealing with withdrawals and overdosages, even though there might not have been the spotlight on those disorders that there is today. Why is it so important for you as a registered nurse, now a CEO, why are you so passionate about naltrexone and this whole treatment of drug and alcohol issues? 
Well, good question. Meeting a few people um, that have gone through this type of treatment and seeing their life transform sucks you in. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, 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 you kind of get addicted to the industry. Uh, and we see that every, I see that every day with people that we, we come across. And, uh, it's kind of a natural thing in the uh, in the addiction recovery business in general. A lot of former, you know, uh, our people in recovery like to help other people once they've gone through their journeys. And, um, I have, you know, every, I think almost everyone now, for the most part, starting to have personal stories of addiction in their families. It's pretty uh, widespread now, affecting, you know, many families and everyone has a story, I think, of getting there, unfortunately. So it affects me on a, on a personal level with um, certain, you know, with family and um, being a, you know, being a nurse and being exposed to that and um, just, you know, and again, meeting, meeting these strangers who have gone through our program and they call it their miracle. Mm. You, know, you just kind of you get sucked into it and want to really help more people. And it's a, it's a really, it's a, you know, in terms of a rewarding, you know, industry to be in, it's a very rewarding one. It's a big, it's a big problem. I mean, you know, human nature is sometimes we want to solve problems, so this is definitely a big problem. Um, so it, it was attractive to me to, to get in and, and um, kind of stuck in now, you know, kind of my, my passion. No, I mean, this is tremendous. And I'm trying to wrap my mind around this because I'll be honest with you, I don't see a lot of patients that uh, have been on naltrexone. I mean, I see a lot of people today who have been on uh, the Suboxone if they, you know, are trying to get off the narcotics. I've seen uh, probably less in this current era. I mean, more in the past who are on the methadone. It seems like at least where I'm at, uh, Suboxone has kind of been the uh, medical-assisted treatment of choice. But I see very few people on naltrexone. Is that... um, Kind of common uh, throughout the country, or does it just depend where people are practicing? No, I think I, I, that's a good point. And I, to kind of go into some of the business of addiction for a moment, uh, you know, it's a addiction treatment industry is, I think back in 2015, I'm not sure the current numbers was about a $35, $36 billion industry. Wow. And most of that is traditional, you know, outpatient care and re- residential rehab, you know, things that kind of been around for forever. Mm hmm. Uh, medication only represented about 5% of that market, uh, back, you know, back then, 2015. So it's like $1.8 billion, which is still a lot of money, that was in the medication assisted treatment space. And in that, uh, most of that is buprenorphine, suboxone, and naltrexone has a small sliver of, of that. Um, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but much smaller amount of that, of that pie, of that $1.8 billion is used for medication. Mm-hmm. So I think that's going to change um, as medication-assisted treatment kind of eats into that that huge $35 billion treatment number. Mm-hmm. And as that grows, the naltrexone number uh, treatment number will grow. Is it going to eat into the suboxone methadone numbers? I'm not sure that yet. I think it does over the years to come as as with anything that happens in society, as people get more and more educated on medication-assisted treatment and the options that are out there. And as this industry evolves, it's going through a huge evolution right now. Mm-hmm. I think that number, that naltrexone number, will eat into that medication number that's actually growing as well. There is a reason other than that. Naltrexone is typically 
harder to get someone on as opposed to methadone or suboxone because you have to be completely detox mm. to be on any form of methadone. You have to have the opioid out of your system. And that's a huge challenge for many people, not to, to detox on your own or even in an outpatient setting is very difficult. Uh, a little bit easier if you're in, you know, in between four walls somewhere at a detox center or a rehab, um, but that's not the majority of people. A lot of people try to, they may, you know, the first time someone wants to stop using opioids or alcohol or anything like that matter, they, their first attempt is usually cold turkey. Mm-hmm. And we all know that, that's, you know, we know that's pretty tough mm-hmm. in any sort of use of you know, substitute disorder. So, um, you know, people are afraid to detox over opioids because it's a it's a miserable detox. Right. I haven't gone through it personally, but uh, I know people who do who have, and they describe it as the most miserable flu that you can ever imagine. And with the body aches and everything, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and the only thing to stop that from happening is using it again. Mm-hmm. So you can see the. I mean, you imagine that for a moment. It's a difficult thing to overcome. If getting another dose of something is a lot cheaper and easier to get than going into treatment, it's a vicious cycle to break. And so they know that fear is there, uh, that that misery is there for detox. So it's a deterrent. So there's a lot of things happening in that detox space at the moment to make detox less miserable, more comfortable, uh, less scary in general. And there's a lot of things that are happening in that space outside of our company on that detox front. So I think as you see some of those things develop over the years to come, um, you're going to see a uh, an uptick in the use of naltrexone once that education and awareness is out there. That's really what it takes. It takes a lot of education mm-hmm. and awareness mm-hmm. before things will start to change. And right. we're just we're kind of kind of just getting started with that. Um, so we have you know we have some years ahead to really make a significant impact on these dreadful numbers that we're seeing. So let's see if we can frame this with this contrast between alcohol addiction and opioid addiction. See if I'm understanding these dynamics correctly, Brady. If a person is using narcotics, if they were to take naltrexone, it would basically throw them into immediate withdrawal. Is that correct? Absolutely. You would detox them immediately, in other words. Right. Which would be a very miserable experience, right. especially if they're at home. So that's why it's very important that they are completely detoxing. Usually before you put them on naltrexone, some providers will do a drug screen or do an oral challenge, get them a small amount to see if they could go into any kind of withdrawals and they know mm-hmm. whether opioids are in their system or not. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to alcohol, though, if someone were actively using alcohol and they took naltrexone, would there be any serious uh, adverse consequences? Uh, it's possible, but not. I haven't heard of anything like that, so again, I want to say never. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're not alcohol detox from alcohol is actually more dangerous right. than from opioids. Right. Opioids, I think, it's more miserable, and they think they're dying. Um, you know, but it's, it's, it's different. So you have to typically, you know, not drink for about three days before naltrexone. That's usually the, the timeline. It could vary depending on how much they're consuming. Mm-hmm. But it's um, I haven't really heard any stories of you know any forms of naltrexone with someone that came in and had drink the night before. Uh, but again, that's that's between doctor and patient. But I haven't like you know, naltrexone doesn't make them sick like antabuse. So it doesn't work like antabuse. Right. So that if you drink on it, you're going to automatically get sick and get with violent vomiting. It doesn't work 
that's not the mechanism of action for naltrexone. It's just blocking those this is fascinating stuff, giving us a lot of hope for other options for treatment. We are going to step away just momentarily. If you've just joined us, my guest is Brady Grenier. He's the CEO of a company called BioCorex. We're going to hear more about his company and about some of the uh, developments that they've made that are trying to make this naltrexone more accessible. So whether you're in a tribal clinic, whether you're a public health worker, whether you just have loved ones that you say, hey, they could benefit as far as some of their struggles with alcohol or opioid, opioid drugs. We definitely want to have you stay by. And even if you think this is not a topic that's relevant to you today, the statistics indicate that if you're not dealing with someone in your life who's got a problem with one of these drugs, it doesn't matter where you're at, it's very likely you're going to be facing it sometime in the future. Stay with us. We're going to be back with more on today's edition of American Indian Living. Brady Grenier staying by. I am too. You do the same. We will be right back. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke, sudden weakness on one side, or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So whether it's around your neighborhood or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live United. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. 
Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to our second half of today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. With me, a registered nurse by the name of Brady Granier. If you've been with us from the beginning of the show, you realize that Brady is not just a health professional. He is also a health care executive. He's heading up a company called BioCorex. We want to speak about uh, BioCorex. I'll, I'll get it right you know, before we finish the show, uh, Brady, but... Let's talk about this uh, naltrexone a little bit more. We we talked a lot about the oral form, how critical it is to take it on a daily basis, the pitfalls with that because if someone's an addict, they may say, hey, I'm just going to skip a dose for a few days so I can go back to my drug of choice, whether it's alcohol or opioids. What advantage is there with the injectable form of naltrexone? Well, it's quite simply compliance. Compliance and more consistent therapeutic levels. You know, the problem with the oral is that even if someone were to take it every day, there are peaks and troughs in the therapeutic levels uh, because the half-life of the drug is maybe four to six hours. So it's a constant battle of those cravings coming and going, and, mm. and uh, that goes back to the compliance issue. So that the injectable form um, will remove that day-to-day compliance. So the, the injectable form on the market is, uh, is marketed as a once-a-month injectable. So that is a much better solution uh, than the oral, in my opinion, and thinking of others and studies, uh, because of that compliance issue. Um, that's really mainly the, the biggest you know, advantage of that is it removes that compliance. But the downside is, it, is it's an injection. Mm-hmm. It's a large injection, so you have to go to the doctor and get a shot. Barrier to that, just making another appointment. So you have a compliance issue there. Uh, you can't have a compliance issue there as well there, but it's a it's a much better solution. Okay, so basically, there's not a, a daily injectable that a person could give themselves, and that would you'd say, well, what's the point of that? They can take an oral pill. It's just a once a day pill as well. Is that correct? Yeah, it's typically prescribed as a uh, you know once a day. And So basically, we've talked about two main options that have been out there for quite a while. Is that true? I mean, the oral has been out for many years. Is the long-acting injectable, this 30-day injectable, has that been around for quite a while too? Yeah, I, I want to say it was, it was, they were approved um, in 2010 and 2011. I forgot which order it was in for alcohol and for opioids. So still, I mean, relatively new mm-hmm. and not really known back then. Because again, the opioid crisis reared its ugly head years ago. Right now, it's mainstream. You know, these no trucks are in any form. They, they, I think they're kind of ahead of its time. You know, a lot of people are doing things, but the market, and the market kind of wasn't there yet. And unfortunately, taken those crises to really you know, draw more attention to these different types of medical options. You know, the, the, the treatment of addiction is changing, as I said earlier. It's evolving rapidly because it's now, it's always been a, you know, it's, it's a disease. Now it's actually being more widely accepted as a disease. And mm-hmm. what, what do you do with diseases? We are conditioned to treat diseases with medications. So now medications are now being looked upon differently, taking some time. Uh, because prior a few years ago, using a drug to treat a drug habit or 
uh, addiction was, was seen as counterproductive. Why are we treating? Why are we doing that? It makes sense. Now that people are starting to look at this as a disease process, much like diabetes, for example, if you're a diabetic, you know, some diabetics do well with weight management and diet, diet changes. Some people need insulin. Some mm-hmm. people need a combination thereof. Every, every situation is different. There's different types of diabetes. Addiction is similar in that regard is that you have to look at the, the multifactorial part of the disease and treat those components comprehensively. And so that's all changing and that education is getting out there. No, I mean, this is great information, and we've got to move on to talk about the other form of naltrexone, and it's one that uh, your company has especially focused on. It's this implantable naltrexone. Tell us why you think that has advantages over the other two approaches. Again, well, the number one advantage is, again, I'll go back to the same thing, compliance. Hmm. Um, the general rule of thumb is that the longer you can keep someone on naltrexone therapy, the better their outcome should be. Because, you know, as the, as you, when you, you're not using your brain, the, the brain has neuroplasticity, starts to rewire itself. Do that for periods of abstinence. That, that can be, we're just going cold turkey or, you know, no treadmill for that matter. So it's not a cure, it's not a, it's not a silver bullet. It's a good crutch. You know, it's a good adjunct to other, other things, uh, behavioral therapy. So the compliance is the big issue. So an implant will last longer than an injectable typically. I mean, they could be some short-term implants, but there's all kind of varying types of implants that, that will last months instead of, say, weeks mm. or a month for that matter. So you're giving that person longer periods of time where they don't have to make that decision all over again. And it's a pretty substantial, you know, one month versus three months even is a very important time frame. There's a lot that happens in 90 days. Uh, if you think about AA, for example, big thing that they... Um, the preach is 90 meetings in 90 days. And there's, a, there's a lot of things that can happen from staying absent in 90 days. Very, very important. So if we can keep people, you know, sober and, and not using for 90 days, that's a huge advantage. Six months, even better. One year, better. Five years, better. The longer, the better. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. The, so the longer we can keep no treachery on someone, the better their outcome should be. We give them more time to engage in behavioral therapies. So that's why the implant has that advantage is over compliance. And then there's disadvantage. So I want to be completely open and honest. It, there's disadvantages to putting an implant in because it is a minor procedure mm-hmm. that you have to get a incision. You know, it's with uh, local anesthesia. It's relatively, you know, relatively painless, but you get numbed up. It's a little cut in your lower abdomen, and then you get you know a few stitches in there, and you have to go through a procedure. It's a very short procedure, 10, 15 minutes with someone experienced with doing these. And, again, relatively painless, but it's still, at the end of the day, a procedure, which is a barrier in itself. So that's one of the downsides to it. A shot is easier to administer than a procedure. Right, right. So that's a challenge of it. But another plus to having uh, something like a naltrexone implant or pellet is that they can be removed if they need to be removed. Uh, And you say, well, Mm. why would you want to remove it? Well, there are instances if someone has a traumatic injury. Uh, or an elective procedure where opioids may be indicated. You know, I let's see. Not, let's not focus on someone who's suffering from opioid use disorder for a moment. Let's just look at the scenario of uh, someone suffering from alcohol use disorder. You know, they may have a traumatic, traumatic industry or a surgery that's coming up, um, 
and then they need to be able to get opioid pain relief um, in that situation. You can't, you know, if you used opioids, it would be ineffective. That implant is still pumping out therapeutic levels. So, so the, the implant would be relatively relatively easy to remove because it's a solid mass that could be palpated and removed if it needs to be. So with, with an injection, that would be a lot more difficult to do because it's a deep intramuscular injection of a, a liquid form, and that's harder to remove something out of, or nearly impossible to remove it out of the muscle tissue as opposed to removing out of you know, the fat tissue that, you know, sort of superficial underneath the skin. So th- that's, that's another advantage, although it's not, not the groundbreaking advantage. It really comes down again once the, the overarching theme here is, is compliance. Mm-hmm. And how long can we, how long can, can we just remove the amount of time that they need to decide to have no Trexone again? So let me see if I understand your company now, BioCorrects, and it's an interesting spelling. Spell that for us. B-I-O, bio, and it's E-O-R. R-X, and pronounced BioCorrects, like you correctly. So BioCorrects, and if someone is wanting more information, is it as simple as typing that into Google, or is there a website that's a better, you know, one-stop shop, if you would? Yeah, um, the, the best uh, the best website to go to is actually BeatAddiction.com. I figure that's a lot easier for people to spell or remember than BioCorrects. Uh, so if you go to BeatAddiction.com, that will take you to the BioCorrects Recovery Program website. There's a lot of frequently asked questions, uh, videos, of, uh, you know, program description of the program, because we don't, we're not selling, our company does not sell Naltrexone implants per se. We, we actually have an entire program built around the use of Naltrexone in general, hmm. in any form. Okay. Um, so we have a behavioral program that was specifically designed around the use of sustained release naltrexone, and that's what the BioCorrects Recovery Program is. We don't just go around selling implants to doctors. We, we collaborate with the care with our with our treatment providers, and in some cases we're providing the behavioral support um, and peer support, and they're providing the medical care. So it really depends on the situation. We kind of adapt to the situation of, our, of the, uh, the treatment provider. I mean, this is very interesting. And we definitely need to talk more about it. But I want to make sure that we're all tracking, myself included, as far as what we're dealing with. So your company, BioCorrects, actually does make the implantable pellets. Is that right? No. We Ah. actually own um, a few different formulas for Neltrexone pellets. The pellet is made from a pharmacy uh, in the U.S. uh, that's licensed in every state to provide and ship that implant to the doctor who prescribes it for its patient, done on a patient-by-patient basis. We're not a pharmacy, so we do not make it ourselves. That has to be made by a licensed pharmacy. We own that particular formula for that product, and it's part of our program. It confuses a lot of people. We own the behavioral program that incorporates the use of a Neltrexone implant and then we allow our treatment partners to access that implant from the compound and pharmacy or pharmacy that make that specific formula. Um, that's the setup of how we use this. Because it's, these are manufactured. These are made on a per-prescription basis after a doctor deems it appropriate for their individual patient after they do an HP and, and look at other options. It's typically not on the first line of defense for addiction treatment. And, and hopefully that, that will change in the future. Mm-hmm. 
uh, but this is how. So we actually offer a program. Okay. So, and your formulation that you're contracting with this pharmacy to provide is a three-month formulation, or you mentioned something about different preparations. Are there different pellets that last different lengths of time? Well, that's, that's, that's a question that really can't address because they, they are compounded on a per-patient basis. I see. So there's a lot of variation. There's, everyone's metabolism is different. Um, the pharmacy compounding them as a human is compounding them one by one. Okay. There's too many variables. And it's irresponsible to put time time on them that's not not clinically proven in clinical trials, et cetera. Um, so you you don't want to give put sample time. Even if you say if you even we you know you have an idea we know we know how things work for the most mm-hmm, part mm-hmm. and these ranges of time, you know. But you can't really say those because if you, you give a range of time. People often gravitate towards the larger number. No, you're right. You're right. And then if you fall short in an individual, then that's a problem in itself. We're offering a program. There's collaborative care. There's constant connection with the individual in the program. Well, we definitely want to speak more about the program in our final segment. We want to hear about the other resources you have, the behavioral components. It is an exciting topic. You don't want to miss our last segment with Brady Grenier. He will be back Don't go away. More on American Indian Living right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand. And someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. 
You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose for our final segment in today's edition of American Indian Living. Brady Granier has been our guest. He is with us for this final segment as well. We've been speaking about some new hope for addiction. And the reason I say new, even though it's a medication called naltrexone that's been out for decades, a lot of people haven't heard of it. They haven't included it in tribal treatment programs. They haven't taken advantage of the possibilities with this compound. I'm actually personally excited about it, and I'm glad that uh, Brady has been sharing information with us. Brady, you've been talking a lot about naltrexone, but we all know that even if someone uses a medication to assist them in dealing with an addiction, addiction requires a lot more than just giving someone a pill, and you folks are trying to deliver that part of the treatment or at least help deliver it as well. Is that correct? Absolutely. It's, in my opinion, the most important part of the behavioral care. You can give naltrexone all you want. Um, Some people may change their lives on that because they may have a good support system around them. They have a family intact and things like that. For the most part, they've gotten to the point they've lost a lot of that that support. So behaviors need to change. Regardless, going to probably fall right back into it. So even though it may not be as sexy as the naltrexone implant, the most important thing what we do is our cognitive behavioral therapy program that we have created, which was built on years of experience from therapists that were treating individuals on these notes on naltrexone, and seeing what happens with them and how they progress. And we've come up with a cognitive behavioral therapy program, some naltrexone behavioral program, specific to people on any form of naltrexone, and it's 35 modules and assignments that take them through these, these behavioral changes that they need to make. And it's designed to be done while that naltrexone is working. Mm-hmm. Part of the complaints with therapists that are treating individuals that are suffering is that they, they a lot of times are speaking to the addiction and not the individual. And so if we remove that cloud, it allows them to maybe absorb the teachings a lot better. We have, so we have this design to take place. Uh, we have that in a workbook form and in, a, in a, an app form as well. It's not a self-help app. It has to be done with a, with a actual trained and licensed therapist. But it's good. It's a good. It's good material to take them through that journey. Uh, so, so the cognitive behavioral therapy will begin um, as soon as they enter the program. And then on top of that, we also have our own peer support program that we, we use an algorithmic software program. And we have we have peer support specialists that are also trained and in, in, in recovery as well. That we can, that may sometimes relate better to the individual than a therapist. So we have this overlapping care that provides peer support data tracking, we're tracking happiness levels and craving levels, and we're looking at outcomes. We're tracking our success. And our goal is to get people through that program. And it's nice if you can do that with one implant or mm-hmm. even or, or two in some situations, but we're not a company that's looking to, to promote. You just keep getting these implants because, no, we, that's, we have to work on the, the, the behavioral side, uh, the psychosocial side of that disorder. For, for better chance of long-term recovery. So we take a lot of pride and we do a lot, a lot of work. All, a lot of the labor, that's where the labor takes place. You know, medications are easy. You know, the, the labor is in the behavioral side, the peer support, and that's the thing that's just not part that's sexy and, and interesting to people. But we try to preach it as much as we can because oftentimes the focus tends to be on the medication because it's new and it's fascinating. 
but I try to de-emphasize that a lot. Like that's just a, that's a great tool. It's a great tool. It's a great tool, but it's a tool. Mm-hmm. It's not the end all be all. So basically, someone has been listening to this show. Many people have, of course. And I'm thinking of someone right now. They heard that website earlier. Maybe they go uh, to the website, which uh, I've jotted down as beataddiction.com. I've got it right? That is correct. Okay, so we don't want uh, addiction to win. We want to beat it, B-E-A-T. So beataddiction.com. So someone's listening in. They go to that website, Brady, and is it going to try to connect them with a provider in their area who's using these resources? How does it actually work? Yeah, so it's an information website. So um, you can go there and, and get some of the basic question answers. You know, just get educated. Just learn what it's about. And uh, the FAQs will take care of a lot of this video FAQs. You can, you can actually listen and watch a doctor and therapist kind of talk about the program. Just get really educated. And then when someone's ready, there's a number they can call for more information and to get directed to a treatment provider that's closest to them that offers the program. Because these are these are all in the independent treatment providers offer our program, and oftentimes they offer other types of services as well. They may offer the uh, suboxone or, or buprenorphine or suboxone or the injectable or oral. You know, they may offer all these different services, but we direct them to those providers who offer our program as an option. And it, it, so it's kind of a pass-through there. Um, so they can call for more information, but um, it's best for them to eventually talk directly to the treatment provider and because it, it's ultimately patient and doctor's decision on what's right for them. But there's certainly a lot of valuable information on So let's speak now to some people who may be involved at a tribal health clinic. Maybe they are a provider. Maybe they're an administrator. And they're listening to this show, or they hear about the show. Are you in a position, I'm speaking not, of course, necessarily of you as an individual, but is your team there at BioCorrects, are they in the position to actually set clinics up with a uh, naltrexone implantable treatment program and the behavioral modules? Absolutely. That's what we've set up. We do a lot of this virtually. Everything is, we have video training, we have all the documentation that's all customizable for that practice. So we have an entire manual on how to implement a program like this. And we, we can't force people to use our program 2AT, but we can educate them on best practices and, make it, and give them access. So we can get people set up as quickly as they would want to be set up to really offer this. And in the, for those treatment centers or primary care doctors, for that matter, that don't have a behavioral program, they can use our behavioral program. We have a network of telecounselors around the country that are, that are licensed in every state that are already trained in our cognitive behavioral therapy program that we can connect them to. So we can, we, we can handle, again, it depends on the situation. We can have them up and running to help individuals as quickly as they want to. We could do it, we could do it virtually. We could do it with a, with a visit in some cases. It just depends on the situation, but we, that's what we've created. We, we wanted to create something that can help people anywhere quickly. Regardless of where they are, rural communities, of course, you can't virtually put an implant in someone, right. but you could do a lot of the behavioral side virtually and the peer support virtually if you need to, because it's better to have some support, even if it's virtual during, you know, via teleconference, um, than opposed to nothing at all. Right. So we, we really try to remove as much barriers and make it as efficient and acceptable as possible. So I'm still kind of focused on the clinic side of things. Perhaps it's because just 
a week ago, I was at a tribal health clinic. We weren't dealing specifically with narcotic and alcohol addiction. We were speaking more about high blood pressure and diabetes. But I have that setting in mind, and it could be any tribe. It could be a IHS clinic, could be a, a tribally run uh, clinic. It sounds, as I'm talking with you, that there's not a huge price tag as far as jumping into this, or am I misunderstanding? Well, we 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 want to get people help, so we do whatever we can to get them up and running. It's not we're not selling a franchise. We want to have as many distribution points as possible to help more people. So we get a lot of this training and done virtually. So we're not charging treatment centers money for some sort of franchise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If they want us to fly our team out there, of course, and and do some hands-on training and things like that, there's hard costs involved with it. You know, those sorts of things are sure. different. But if we're setting someone virtually and we can do this, you know, really time, you know, the time cost, we're, we've already done a lot of the work. Now, of course, that's to get them up and running. And then per individual they want to treat, of course, there's there's costs. We have behavioral therapists, we have peer support specialists, we have pharmacies. There's, you know, obviously there's cost mm-hmm. uh, for this. It's a one-year program. That's how long how long the entire program lasts. That's not how long the implant lasting. So I'm not going to get confused with that. That's how long the entire program with the behavioral components and peer support will last. Okay. And there's a lot of labor for over that course of time. Most of the labor takes place in the first 90 days. That's usually when all the behavioral therapy therapy is actually happening. The more expensive part of the labor is happening in those first. Now, if we were to step away from Indian country just a minute, I mean, many uh, Native Americans are getting their medical care under other umbrellas, if you will, rather than tribal health programs. Conventional insurance, would they typically cover the uh, behavioral component if it's delivered uh, remotely? Well, that, that, that's a good question. It's hit or, you know, PPO, traditional insurance is a hit or miss. It really depends on the state, the policy, mm-hmm. and that's, a, that's an evolving thing as well. So it, it it could it could change. Um, it, it does depend. But we do see some PPO insurance, you know, PPO policies covering some aspects, or at least the, the care around it. But it really does. Okay. Well, listen, I mean, this was just great material. I know a lot of folks are going to want to visit BeatAddiction.com. Brady, I know you got to run, and our time has uh, pretty much slipped away from us. Thank you so much for joining us on today's edition of American Indian Living. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. For all of us in American Indian Living, I'm Dr. David DeRose. Hopefully today's show has opened your mind to some new options in this war and opioid addiction and other solutions as far as alcoholism. I'm Dr. DeRose, wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.